Good morning. There was a tourist who was going to visit a landmark that was down by the ocean. And he found himself walking out on this long pier. And when he got to the end, he looked over the edge. And he was alarmed to see how deep the water was there. And in his alarm, he kind of blurted out to a fisherman that was right there next to him, uh, if I fell off of here, would I drown? And the fisherman responded, nah. It's not falling into the water that drowns people. It's staying under that drowns people. Today we are starting a sermon series called uh, Hard Questions. Today's question is a, a pretty big doozy. Our goal, though, is over the next few, a few Sundays, Pastor Dave and I would like to present to you some questions that might help you uh, to be able to talk with people in the community about your faith, whether it be at the lunch table at school or out at the curb in your neighborhood or over the water cooler, by the water cool, cooler at work, that you might be able to pursue some of these questions and talk with people. And when questions are asked of you, that maybe you could answer them. And like I said, today's question is a doozy. The question we're going to be uh, talking about is this. Can you fall down so far that you can't get up? And perhaps a better way to ask this question would be to ask, can a person mess up their life so badly that it can't be fixed? And I told you this was a doozy of a question, and there's a reason, a couple reasons why. First of all, we just have a few minutes here. And we're not going to be able to even barely touch the surface of it. But second of all, when, when we look at Scripture and what it has to say about this particular question, well, I've got some good news and some bad news. Because when we look at Scripture and we see what Scripture has to say about whether we can be fixed or our life can be fixed when we mess it up, the word in Scripture is a yes. Yes, we can mess up so badly that, we can't, that it can't be fixed. But Scripture also says, no, no, you can't mess up so badly that it can't be fixed. So now how are we going to deal with this? Well, I think perhaps the best way that we might be able to deal with this is to go back and uh, look at the lives of a couple people that we all kind of know a little bit about. So I'd like to have you step back with me to the night before Jesus uh, died on the cross. And Jesus and his 12 apostles, his best friends, his 12 closest followers, went up to the upper room and they were sharing a meal, a meal called the Passover. And in this meal, they were commemorating when God delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And as he was talking with them, a couple of conversations arose over the dinner table, like normally happens when we have dinner, right? So this morning, I'd like to highlight two of those conversations. The first one happened there at the dinner table, and the other one happened as they were taking a walk after dinner. The first one was instigated by Jesus himself. We're told in John chapter 13 that Jesus' spirit was troubled and that his heart was heavy because he knew that one of his closest followers, one of those 12 that he was having dinner with, would be betraying him later on in the evening. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. You can imagine the eyebrows going up. 
and the questioning look, and each one of them was asking themselves, is it I, is it I? And finally, Peter prompts John, who was sitting next to Jesus, and says to him, ask him. Find out who it is. Lord, who is it? John asked. And then Jesus did something really interesting. He broke a piece of bread off the loaf, and he dipped it in a dish, and he handed it to Judas. And he said, the one I hand this to is the one that's going to betray me. You know what was interesting about that? Is by Jewish custom, when someone would break off a little piece of bread and dip it in the dish and handed it to someone, it was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of honor and respect and caring for that individual. So what Jesus was doing is he broke that bread off and dipped it in the dish and handed it to Judas. He was giving his one final appeal, one last plea that Joseph would leave and that he would stay there and be a follower of Jesus like he'd been called. Yeah. One last time, Jesus, at the very last minute, was trying desperately yes. to convince Judas to stay. Because Jesus knew Judas's heart. He knew that Judas, who was the keeper of the treasury, had been embezzling funds. He knew that just a few days before when a woman had come in and had anointed Jesus' feet with a very, very expensive uh, perfume, that Judas, when he said, what? What a waste. We could have used that money to feed the, the homeless, to feed the hungry and the poor. Jesus knew that Judas' heart wasn't with the hungry and the poor and the homeless. Judas' heart was with the money. He wanted to line his own pockets with that. Jesus knew that Judas was filled with greed and that his love of money was greater than his love of the Lord. And so Judas had gone to the authorities and he had arranged to betray Jesus for the sum of 30 measly pieces of silver. The same amount of money that was used to pay for a slave. And even though he knew all of this about Judas, Jesus was making his last final appeal, never, never, never wanting to give up because he loved Judas. And we know how that ended, don't we? Judas walked. Well, later on, we have another conversation that's happening after dinner. They got up from dinner and they were going across to a, a garden, Garden of Gethsemane on Mount Olives. And as they're walking, Jesus looks at him and says, you know, Judas isn't the only one that's going to be betray me, betraying me. All of you are going to leave me. And Peter, being bold, Peter said, never. They may leave you, but I will never leave you. Jesus looked at Peter and he says, you know what? Tomorrow morning before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. No. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And we know how that ended too, don't we? Peter caved. So here we have two men. Judas struggled with greed. Peter struggled with pride. Judas was conniving and Peter was arrogant. Judas betrayed Jesus, and Peter denied Jesus. Judas regretted his actions, and Peter regretted his. 
So what's the difference? A sin is a sin is a sin, right? It doesn't matter what we do. If we go against God's will, it doesn't matter. We're condemned just the same, right? So what's the difference? Well, let me tell you what the difference is. Judas tried to make amends himself. And Peter turned to Christ. Judas was depending upon his own actions, and Peter was led to depend upon God's love. Judas took his own life, and Peter lived. Judas struggled. Judas was depending upon himself. Judas despaired. And Peter was led to repent. St. Paul, in his first book, or his letter, in the first chapter of his letter to the Romans, talked about the same kind of problem, these two different kinds of people. He tells us in this book, in, in the first chapter of Romans, that none of us are without excuse. He tells us that all of us have ample witness that there's a God. He said, just look at creation. And as you look at creation, you can see that there's a God of design, a God of power, a God who's eternal because he was there when they made this. He tells us that it's just as ludicrous, and a friend of mine said this the other day, it's just as ludicrous to look at the design and the intricacy of the world around us and to think that it just like happened because of a chemical reaction and a series of mutations. It's just as ludicrous to believe that than to look at this building right here and think that there was no design, no designer, and no intelligence behind the fact that this building exists. We're without excuse. Because not only does he give us creation, but he gives us his word. And in his word, he reveals the heart of Jesus, his desires and his plans and his promises and the relationship that he desires with all of his creation, especially the crown of his creation, human beings like you and me. And then he tells us that there's another witness, Jesus himself. God, the Son of God, leaving his throne in heaven to come down here and to show us what the heart of Jesus is or the heart of God is like. A God of love who loved us so much. How much did he love us? Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves you. So we have creation, and we have the Word, and we have Jesus himself, the Son of God, to tell us how much this God loves us. And so Paul is led, knowing all of that, to say these things. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then he says later on, the righteous shall live by faith. That's the gospel message that Peter relied upon. That's the good news of salvation that Peter depended upon. 
The fact that God would love us so much that He would send His Son to come to this world to fulfill the law, to take our mess-ups, our sins, our failures upon our sh- on His shoulders, take Him to the cross, and leave them there. Amen. That He would rise from the dead so that we might be able to live together with Him someday. Amen. That's what Peter depended upon. And my friends, I've got to tell you, the answer is no. Scripture tells us, no, you cannot mess up your life so bad that it can't be fixed by God. Mm -hmm. Well, then Paul goes on, and at the end of the very same chapter, he writes this. He talks about the others, the people like Judas. And he says, for they did not see fit to acknowledge God. And so God gave them up to be debased, uh, to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. And then he goes on and explains what that looks like. Evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And then he says, even though they know God's decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So what is Paul saying? God gives up on us? No. He never gives up on us. He didn't give up on Judas. Right to the very end, he kept asking him and pleading with him, calling him friend giving him a position of honor and respect, and saying, I love you. He never gave up on him. But what God does do is sometimes he gives us over to our sins. Much like a parent who has a rebellious child who continually and consistently rebels against the parents, finally the father or mother says, okay, I give you over to the sin hoping that as that child goes down that path, that eventually they'll come to the end of the road and realize the folly of their decisions and their actions and come running home so that the parent can wrap their loving arms around them. It's the same concept as one of us who might have an alcoholic in the family, where we give them over to their alcoholism with the hope that when they hit rock bottom, that we could be there to help pull them up. Does God give up on us? Never. No. You can never mess up so bad that God can't fix it. But now what about this Judas? Jesus called him the son of perdition, the son of damnation, indicating that he wasn't saved. We have this Judas who wanted to do it himself, who fell in love with the things of this world, and wanted to, to worship that which God created rather than worship God the Creator. What did the fisherman ask? Or what did the tourist ask? The tourist said, if I fell into the water, would I drown? And the fisherman responded, no, it's not falling into the water that drowns people. It's staying under. We have a God who will never, ever give up. 
But folks, I want to say something, and I want you to hear this. God takes sin seriously. God takes sin seriously because sin leads to death. And when we talk about death here, folks, we're talking about a place called hell. And I want you to hear this too. Hell is for real. And what's more, hell is for keeps. Once you get there, there's no coming back. Friends, I want you to know that our loving God is calling. He's calling today. He's calling you, and He's calling me. And He wants us to follow Him. He's pursuing us and chasing us with His goodness and His mercy. Just like David said at the end of the 23rd Psalm, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God is chasing you. He's pursuing you. His desire is that no one would be lost. And so he's chasing every single person on the face of this earth. Today, we are celebrating Orange Sunday. Today, we're commemorating and and setting aside this Sunday to pray for those who are persecuted. We have this God who loves us and people that love this God, and many of them are being persecuted for their faith. Many of them in our world are being abducted and thrown into prison and tormented, and some of them are being killed. And we want to pray for them. Last year when we did this Orange Sunday, I showed you a video of a little girl by the name of Miriam. She's a part of a refugee family that had to leave her home to get away from that persecution. I'd like to show you another little clip of that, of that video. طيب انت حاسه قد ايه ربنا بيحبك صح؟ ايوه ربنا بيحبنا كلنا مو مو بس انا كل الناس يحبوهم الله. وانت شايفه ان ربنا كمان بيحب الناس اللي ممكن تبقى اذتك وزعلتك ولا لا؟ يحبوهم بس ما يحب الشيطان. طب انت شايفه انت حاسه بايه ناحيه الناس اللي ممكن تبقى خرجتك من البيت وتعبتك؟ ما راح اسويهم ولا شيء بس يعني اقول لله يسامحهم وانت تقدري تسامحيهم كمان ايوه بس دي حاجه صعبه قوي ولا حاجه سهله ان انا اعرف اسامح الناس اللي تعبتني يا مريم ما راح اقتلهم يعني ليه اقتلهم بس بس زعلانه ليه طلعوني من بيتنا طلعونا من بيتنا friends there are some people in this world who reject god They deny that he exists. There are people in this world that love evil, and they want to do things their way and follow a God that isn't true, a God that's been fabricated in their own minds or formed with their own hands or made up in their own intellect and reason. They want to be in control of their own lives, and they want to reject this Jesus. So what do we do about that? Many of them not only love to have other people follow them in that, but there are those that would like to forcibly make other people follow them in their deceptions. So what do we do? I think we can learn something from little Miriam. 
she's chosen to pray for them because she knows that God loves them too. And the truth is God wants all, everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Every single person. So today, not only are we going to be praying for those who are persecuted, not only are we going to be praying for Christians that the Lord would keep us firm in our faith, but today let's also pray for those that are doing the persecuting. Why? Because when you and I were brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ, He indwelled us with His Spirit. And He's given us a heart like the heart of His Son, Jesus. A heart that desires that everyone would be saved. That even those who hate us and hate our God would come to know Him. So that they too can spend their life with Jesus both here and through eternity. I think we can learn more from this little girl. And so I'd like to conclude this message by sharing with you the last part of this video. انت علمتيني حاجات كتير قوي شكرا وانت حتى علمتني علمتك ايه انا علمتني يعني ما علمتني يعني حسيت بمشاعري حسيت بمشاعري انا كان عندي مشاعر وأريد يعني يعرفون الناس إيش هي مشاعر هذول الأطفال اللي اللي هنا. وأنت عارفة إن يسوع مش هيسيبك أبداً صح؟ ما راح يسيبنا إذا مؤمنة وسابي تبينه ما راح يسيبني. طيب قولي لي أنت فكرة ترنيمة أو فكرة حاجة لما بتبقي قاعدة لوحدك كده بتحب ترنميها أو تكلمي يسوع بيها ولا مش فكرة ولا حاجة خالص؟ عندي ترا عندي ترانيم. بتحب تقولي أكتر واحدة أنت بتحبيها؟ تبقى صغيرة وقصيرة بس نسمعها منك، إيه رأيك؟ أكو واحدة. 